Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Best Life Cafe Rise and Shine series. This is episode two, part one. And today I am featuring Teresa Blanton as my guest. Teresa is a Reiki master who helps people enrich their lives spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and physically by working with the seven chakra energy centers. She's an angel card reader. She's referred to in most circles as the hillbilly healer. She is the author of the forthcoming adult coloring book titled Hillbilly Healer Volume 1. And I met Teresa at the 1440 retreat in July of 2017, where I learned about vittles and hillbilly everything from her. We bonded over our love of a good barbecued steak. And when I got into deep trouble in May of 2018, and my entire life had been turned upside down, Teresa reached out and offered me weekly Reiki healings, and it was one of the most important components of my personal healing journey. We continue this ritual weekly, and I am so excited to introduce y'all to her. Welcome, Teresa. (laughs) How are you this morning? Well, hello, Kathy. Good morning. I'm great. How are you? I'm good, and you know, I know it's uh, what probably this is our it's our Sunday morning. Although this isn't going to air on a Sunday, uh, but it's early here and it's more midday for you. But I love that technology allows us to communicate so far away. So, Teresa, when I met you, you were sort of starting your healing journey. But I think before we kind of talk about the healing part of this, we need to kind of go back to where you were. You know, what, what some of your darker, you know, moments, and, and it's not that I like to highlight the dark, but I think it's super important for people to understand that we can rise and shine out of any situation, and how we do that just really depends on us. So I would like to know, like, prior to 2017, kind of when you got into this really super great healing journey that I know you've been on, uh, what were some of the darker things that, that took you down that path? Absolutely. So I am from a family of seven. I have uh, six siblings and I also have a twin. And when my mother, um, who I call Mama, Mama had uh, my twin sister and I when she was 40 years old. So we were number six and seven. I'm seven. (laughs) And, you know, Mama's was older. She was born in the 20s in the hollers of Kentucky. And so, you know, children were to be seen and not heard. And, uh, you know, if if you did something wrong, you were, you know, physically abused over it. And that could be you, maybe you looked at her wrong. Maybe you spoke out of turn. Uh, you know, if you did anything, um, I mean, it could be anything. And we would get uh, a whooping, you know, but a whooping back then with mama was like a beaten, you know. And so I was so terrified to talk when I first was able to start talking that I developed a stutter. Mm-hmm. I I stuttered so severely I couldn't even finish a sentence. And I think back on those times, and I remember my brothers and sisters used to finish my sentences for me, and it was almost like I was grateful at that time. But, you know, and then Mom said, well, now don't do that for her. She's got to learn how to talk, you know. And <laughs> But I didn't. I was, I was so afraid 
you know, and what happened was I ended up having to work with a speech therapy when I was in school, a speech therapist. Mm -hmm. And it, it did help me tremendously. But at that point, I noticed when I got out of the stuttering, I'm thinking around maybe third grade is when it I was really able to get out of that. I think that's really when I started to find my voice, even though I wow. knew I may, you know, get in a lot of trouble using it. And so, but I was able to move away from the stuttering. And I find today that if I'm stuttering or you're around me and I stutter, it's because I'm in extreme fear or I'm so angry oh, in a rage-like uh-huh. manner. And the rage or the anger comes normally because I'm afraid. And I think that's so, true for yeah, for everybody. And mm-hmm. that's a great way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's today. If I notice that I start to stutter when I'm trying to interact with somebody or something's happening, I have to say, Oh, wait a minute. Ooh, I gotta start breathing. I gotta find my breath. And that's yeah. exactly what I need to start doing. And so you know And so I mean, can I just touch I on one can I just touch on one yeah, thing here? Go ahead. You know, uh, one of the Please. things that you said that really struck me when we were talking pre show uh was that you were terrified as a child. And and I just wanted to pause there for a moment because I think it's really important for any parents that are listening or anybody who you know, who has been in your situation to understand children. You know, because you're so little, but a beaten in those days was either the stick or the hose or a piece of rope. Or I remember my father chasing my brother with a hose that he had cut, you know, can you imagine how much that hurt? And he, that mm-hmm. was you know, probably in the early seven sixties or seventies. And um, I was just like, what in the heck? So I want parents that People don't beat their kids today. I mean, and if you if they do, you don't really hear about it unless it's an extreme case. It's on the news. So, mm-hmm. do you feel like? I mean, I know you don't have children, but does it does it make you treat children differently to have that in your background? I believe that it does. I mean, I was so terrified, Kathy, growing up that I when I was ten years old, I can remember looking at myself in a mirror and saying. I'm never having kids because I was so Mm. terrified that I would hurt them. Or on the other flip side of it, I'd be the neurotic mother, like, oh, my God, did you just look at my kid cross-eyed? I'm going to, you know, beat your butt, (laughs) you know. And I I was just so – I could see myself going either way. And mind you, I was like 10 years old. And I told myself, I made a pact with myself. I said, I'm not doing it. I'm I'm not doing it. And – the beauty of having such older siblings and, you know, having a mother that was 40 years old when mama that gave birth when she was 40 to us was that I had older siblings and then they started having kids when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I've got a brother that's 19 years older than me that is deceased and I've got a sister that's 18 years older and then it goes wow, to 12 yeah, years, yeah. and it goes to 10 years and then Bev is six years older than us. And another that's thing a big I gap. to find yeah. too, it's a huge gap. So I grew up with kids, you know, watching their kids. Yeah. And so I was very protective of, of their children. 
it was kind of like a, a dog, you know, protecting their puppies. So I was very protective of my nieces and nephews, but I, I loved it that. and had a ball with them. Yeah. So, but it wasn't just the physical though, because I mean, my mom, mama used her fist. I mean, she would backhand. I mean, I can take a punch. I mean, I could, and that's, you know, a hard thing to say. However, she didn't know any better, you know, and the way I found out she was raised, but on the other side of that, on the flip side, it's just for me to come to a conclusion that I didn't want to have my own children. I, I love kids. I absolutely adore them. You know, I'm kind of like, uh, I'm the one that, you know, I get along great with kids. I get along great with animals. I mean, I just love them. Yeah. And, but it wasn't just the physical part of it. I mean, there would be times that she would just start screaming, you know, too, or if something was wrong. And so I found very early on, I developed, an instinct of trying to protect myself was I learned how to be really great at sports and I started joining sports teams so I could get out of the house. Mm -hmm. And so I started doing that. I mean, I started playing basketball when I was in the fourth grade, I joined T-ball teams. I was very active like that and I became good at it and I practiced like nobody's business now because I wanted to make that team so that way I could go. I could go to the games. I could go to the practices. And, boy, I sure did. I, well, it's I, interesting. And it was nice to have, yeah. I was, it yeah, was, I was nice to have older siblings that would help me with that. We, we, you, we find our, mech, our coping mechanisms at every age. Mm-hmm. We find our coping mechanisms. And so I love that you shared that because – exercise or sports or was an outlet for you. And and in a way that's really actually self-healing at a very young level because you find your coping mechanism in your life. And I I see that in my own kids and my own grandkids. Uh, That's what you have to do to cope, especially in those types of situations. And so I also know that you left home fairly young and got married at a really young age at 19 and that's when I left home was 19 and I actually left at 17 but I was uh, pregnant <laughs> getting ready to be married. Oh I was out of the house you know. as soon as I graduated high school. <laughs> yeah same. Uh, not for those same reasons though. I was just the rebel with, mm-hmm. with no cause. <laughs> so, so you got married at 19, you didn't want kids and you stayed in a marriage for eight years and it wasn't yeah. that he you ended your marriage for any other reason except for your own personal self because he was a great guy. We talked about that. It's so true. Um, my ex-husband, is, is he's a wonderful man, and I'm sure that he still is. And I, it was something that I definitely needed to experience uh, to receive a love like that, mm-hmm. but I didn't know how to receive it. That's the thing. I didn't know how to really receive his love because I I didn't understand it. And he's such a wonderful man. But I was so I was so unhappy because you know mentally I was a lot unstable because of how I grew up. I didn't really know a bunch of things, and so I would run. You know, I was a runner. I mean, I would run to sports, and that's you know I didn't deal with my emotions because I didn't know how because we weren't allowed to have them growing up and then I was you know 
a kid that was full of anxiety and all the stuff, but I brought that into my adulthood. And here's the really sad thing is he did not abuse me in any way, not physically, not mentally, not emotionally. I did that to myself while I was with him. And as an adult, and I, I didn't understand any of it. I didn't understand why I felt the way I did. I always felt I was different because, you know, I'm a Pisces. I'm very intuitive. I can feel, I could always feel what mama was feeling. I knew before I'd even walk into the house, I could feel it. I knew it. Um, I could walk into a room as a child and be able to say, okay, do I want to, I'm not sure if I want to talk to this person or not because of the, and, but I didn't understand what, what I had, the gift I had been you, given from God. Would you call yourself an empath or would you actually say this was more of a psychic ability to pick up on energy? Because I know I have a little bit of both. Like sometimes it's the empath in me that can just pick up someone's feelings when they walk into a room and sometimes the energy is mm-hmm. too much or sometimes um, I know things before they happen or I'll, I'll know somebody's going to call I me have... the minute they pick up the phone. Yeah. Right. That's so true. And I've got all of that. I could feel the emotions from somebody else. I could tell, like we have a mutual friend. I knew that she had a breakup before it was even announced. You know, I mean, I just knew it. And I don't know how that happens. But growing up with that, you think that something's really wrong with you. I did. I felt like something was really wrong with me. I had no idea that it was okay. It was normal for me to be like that. And it was a gift to be like that. I didn't know how to protect myself. I didn't know how to shield myself. (laughs) I didn't know how, you know, I didn't know how to let it go, you know, and just just let people be who they are. And without me trying to run in and say, I'm going to fix this for you. I'm going to fix this for Uh, you. I'm going to help you feel better. I'm going to make you feel better. I want you to feel <laughs> lesson <better>. number four seventy five. And by me doing that, I was trying to help somebody else and all the while I was staying in victim mode because I I couldn't help myself. I couldn't help myself. I didn't know how. And so uh I was married uh, I was married and there was a lot of wonderful moments, but then there was a lot of moments that I screwed a lot of things up as far as, you know, like I said, I didn't didn't really know how to take him and this and that. But the bottom line of that whole relationship was I wasn't really happy in it because I really, I felt like I really didn't want to be with a man. I felt I wanted to be with a woman. And of course, you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s, that was kind of a no-no Holy also. Cow, and I, I came from that. <laughs> yeah, right. And I came from a very small town in Ohio because Mama moved to Ohio from Kentucky when she was 16 years old. And and by the way, that's another story of how much I really do love Mama and admire her now for when we came to peace with a lot of things, but. You know, here's the thing. It, it's like I was terrified of that. You know, it's like I'm in a – but I had had friends that were like that, and I was fo- certainly fine and all right with that. One morning, though, I woke up, and I just couldn't take it anymore. I had been drinking excessively. I had been taking Xanax like it was candy, you know, and because I couldn't face my feelings of exactly who I am. And the truth of the matter is I wanted to be with a woman, 
And this guy was the one of the greatest men probably ever to be put on the earth. And I I couldn't handle it because it's not who I wanted to be with. Well, it isn't what you, so I you actually him. were owning your own truth in, 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 a, in a very mm-hmm. confused way because, first of all, just to discover something like that about yourself, then to own it, especially if you, it's something that has been kept hidden for so long in your, you know, in, in your environment, in, with your friends, with your family, with, you know, all those things. So it's like that quote-unquote coming out is, you know, for a lot of people really scary. What's lovely is that in today's world, we are accepted mostly for who we are and what, whatever gender, whatever gender you prefer, whatever you want to do with your life, we live in a society that is so much more accepting. And I don't, I'm not you know, aging you, but I'm just saying that was probably what in the late 90s. Something like that. Yes, when I yeah I got divorced in in ninety four. And so we were just starting to to, to uh, allow people to be gay <laughs> openly, right? Yeah. Like, well, and the, you know, and, and you know, it it was still difficult in Ohio. It was it was yeah. still a difficult thing in Ohio. But it, I knew I had to speak my truth. But I I kind of even wasn't ready then. But I also knew that I being in this relationship was not helping me nor him and yeah, at all. Brave. And I was one of the most pivotal moments of my life was because I could have stayed in that marriage. We could still be married sure. today. I mean, cause we were pretty compatible. I mean, we were pretty compatible in a lot of, a lot of things. And I just, that was probably the, the exact first time when I actually really started to think about living my truth. And then also the, the most pivotal moment for me also was when I had kind of gotten into it with mama and I was married. I was in my early twenties. I was at her house and I got into it with her and she was discussing about how she whooped us into being great productive society. (laughs) And and I, I kind of looked at her and I just, at that point, I just kind of went off, and I and I was like, "Now, Mama, is like we didn't, you know, we really didn't deserve all that." And I said, "You know, over." And she's like, "Well, you deserved it." And I said, "Now, Mama, over spilled milk. I mean, it, we could drop something and get beat over it, you know." And mm. so I I was so angry, and I just let her have it. And then I was so scared at the next minute, like, "Uh oh, she's still my Mama," and I jumped up and ran out of her house. And three days later, she called me and she said, I've been crying for three days. And I said, Aww. now, Mama, that She's like, was, I know. It broke my heart. And I said, now, Mama, that was not my intention. And she said, well, I'd really like you to come get me. And would you like to go for a drive? And I said, I sure would. So I went and picked her up. And we drove all over the country roads where we live in Ohio, and she started telling me about her life and her childhood. And it was during that time I was, I'd never seen her be vulnerable like that, and she cried. Mm. And I'd only, to that point, I'd only seen her cry uh, maybe five times. And so she was became so vulnerable, and she cried while she was telling me. And it wasn't a way of like, please feel sorry for me. It was just trying to say, she was trying to apologize to me. And and then she, her yeah. last words out of that whole situation, because it was hours we were doing this. And she said, I didn't know any better. 
And she said, I will do better. Okay, so yeah, just pause for one second and breathe that in because what a huge healing moment for her. And, you know, I'm anticipating she's, you're, you're in your 20s, so she's in her 60s now when this is happening, and she's coming to this realization, and she shares with you her own story, and that brings up for me that, that old adage quote, hurt people hurt people. And, and, and it shows us the generational line because she was raised in the 20s when it was really different didn't know any better but to raise her own kids that way. But something happened from that generation to our generation where we were like, yeah, no more. I mean, I never, I can say I never beat my kids, but I did beat one of my kids one time, and that was because he was missing for eight hours, and we call it the Burger King beatdown because I was nine months pregnant. (laughs) Big belly. My son had been missing. He was eight years old. He had been missing for nine hours. And when I saw him with his friends in the Burger King parking lot, all I could do was hit him. Like you. And so of all, you know, I I don't, you just, we just stopped beating our kids. Like there was a point where we stopped allowing physicalness to be the answer. And so I'm so grateful for the kids that, you know, my kids age and be below that didn't have to grow up with that. And so I love that your mom took the time to, to really examine your truth and what that was like, you know. And then uh, one of the things you had said to me, and I want you to touch on this, was that she went to everybody after that. She did. And I had other siblings tell me that. And I, and I have another sibling that I don't think ever made peace with mama. And, and, but that's her mm. deal and that's her thing. But yeah. she was able to make her own peace and with the other kids and even apologize. And, uh, I mean, and that's when mama and I not only became mama and daughter, but we became best friends. But then she would always mm. be like, We'd be talking, and she'd be like, I'm the mama. Like, don't try to boss me. <laughs> so she I love your friends, you know, because she, mama. She, was, yeah, she, she, was a, and she had a great sense of humor. And, so, you know, if I look back at my past, there's a lot of fun times that we had. And the only, right. um, you know, and so I, I choose to look at what was right and not so much today what was wrong back then. Absolutely, because you're what never we have gonna, to do. You're never gonna, yeah, you're never gonna be able to have forgiveness in your life for yourself and for, say, Mama. You won't be able to forgive unless you can go back. And you know, there were snippets of things. I mean, we we did have a lot of good times too. We did. And for us to be able to come together, then her her and I as adults and really work things out. I mean, we really had a magical relationship, really, from that point on. And I'm not saying things were always fantastic and perfect. They weren't. We, I'm a very strong, I mean, I'm a Pisces, Mama's a Scorpio, so we're both deep water, you know, we're both deep water, and we've got those feelings going on, and we were really connected. I mean, we had a connection that was almost more than what I have with my twin sister. And... So for us to be able to have that relationship and then, you know, I'm a lot like her. 
I do speak up, you know, when something's going on and I don't like it. I didn't use to do that. You took some of the good things from that into your own life. And and then uh, Mama got sick. Yes. Um, I... Because you have to remember, I was when I graduated from high school, I was 18 years old, and and that's another thing, you know, trying to differentiate. I'm a twin, and you know, you're all. I'm always running around talking about we and us, and and uh, Nancy helped me start saying I and me, and that wow, yeah. really helped me that I am an individual and I am responsible for myself and no one else. And so, you know, Mama was you know, 58 when I graduated high school. And so then she, she was in pretty good health. I mean, she always really took good care of herself. She, you know, ate pretty well. She even exercised and she played sports when she was a youngster. And I didn't even really know that until, you know, Mm -hmm. we started to really learn about each other. And, but then she started getting ill and she started having problems with blood pressure. And, you know, at that point though, she was in like her early seventies. Yeah. And so, you know, I I was married for eight years, and even then I would help take care of her. And and then when I got divorced, you know, it was a lot of times just me and Mama. And I had my own apartment, but a lot of times I spent most of the time with Mama and trying to help her. And, you know, she lived in this great senior citizen um, apartment building until the day she died when she was 86 and she lived there and she just loved it. She was independent there, you know, but I would, you know, there would be plenty of nights I would stay to try to help her and so many doctor's visits and hospital visits and, you know, this and that, but I started to get really tired, Kathy. I mean, I was, it was like I, I I had no life other than working and, and, and helping mama. And the problem with that is, I was running again. So here I wasn't living my life. I wasn't addressing my wants or needs. I wasn't addressing my emotional, you know, sadness, happy, joy, anger. I wasn't addressing any of those because I didn't have time. Do you think that was and a coping mechanism for you too at that point? Like a part was, of you was like was the, avoidance is the greatest uh, tool we have to uh, to get through any pain or sadness. We just avoid the situation. It's so simple. <laughs> but it does absolutely. come back to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, really then, because then, you know, I finally woke up one morning and I said, I can't live my life like this anymore. It was almost like that pivotal moment of my divorce, you know. It's almost like I, but I knew that if I stayed here, I wouldn't, I, I would, if she would call, I'd run. I mean, I, I would run, and that's not even an exaggeration. And and I knew at that point that I, I needed help. I, I started praying to God. I said, please help me with my life. I don't know what I need to do. I don't know. And the funny thing is I started watching. I used to watch Oprah when I was younger, and I would get off work. Her last show to air during the day would be at 5 p.m. Eastern time. And I had an office job, and I'd work from 8 to 5, and I would fly home. To, and like 10 minutes after I lived in a small town, thank God, I could get home fast easily. And Cheryl Richardson was on there one day. And she did her series on there. Yeah, and she was talking about 
um, self, extreme self-care. She was talking about all of this stuff. And that that's the moment. And I would sit in my chair and I'd watch that and I'd say, oh, man, she's helping so many people, not even realizing that I could be helped. But that's when the seed was planted, was seeing Cheryl Richardson on Oprah. That I seed was planted that. for me. And she is still such a marvel today. Like she has just evolved more and more. And she's, she's a, a, I remember seeing her on the show. God, a zillion years ago. And she knows me. (laughs) Yeah, she does. Okay. So we are going to end this episode and we're going to be back with part two next week. Uh, thank you, Teresa, for your time today and sharing really the darker moments of your life. I mean, I think that all of us have these dark, hidden stories, and um, we're going to concentrate on how that catapulted you into your best life in episode two. So everybody tune in. Tune in next Wednesday for the second part of this show. And uh, I will talk to you soon. Thank you.